Hey everyone, I'm Sarah James, a beauty blogger and self-help aficionado. And I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and psychotherapist. And you are listening to Selfie, a weekly podcast about two women trying to tackle better self-care. We are both of the opinion that self-care is important, and yet we find it elusive. And while we may have all the info we need, we don't always get there. From the silly to the serious, we are taking a vulnerable yet humorous look at body, mind, and spirit and maybe a touch of the random, all while looking at the distractions and defenses that keep us from caring for ourselves like we should. Hey guys, well today we are going to be talking with Amy Orr. She's the author of a book called Taming Chronic Pain, a management guide for a more enjoyable life. It was a great interview that's informative for anyone, whether you're dealing with chronic pain or know someone who does, which Um, The prevalence of this is pretty high, so you probably do. So um, stay tuned for that. But first, I'm going to do a quick self-care check-in with Claire. Hi, everyone. Hey, Claire. Well, what's up with you? (sighs) Been been doing pretty well. I have um, continued going to the gym. What about your self-care? What have you got going on? Um, You know, I've been doing pretty well. I um, am taking myself off sugar after, um, to be honest, after the interview that I did with Dr. Chad Larson. It really kind of opened my eyes to a bunch of stuff. I do think I have a lot of leaky gut symptoms. Same. And so I am trying, I'm just giving the college try to healing that leaky gut thing and seeing what a difference it makes for me. And it already is making a difference. It affects every area. It does. It affects our skin, our hair, yeah. our sleep. And so I listened to that interview too. And mm-hmm. it, my biggest takeaway was like, hi, my name is Claire and I am addicted to sugar. Oh gosh, I am too. It's not even like a choice. It's like, I really like, I, well, of course it's a choice, but. Even when I'm eating healthy and working out and sticking to my meal plan, I gravitate to sugar nine times out of ten. Right. Even fake yeah, sugar. Yeah, no, I do too. So I, I... I do too. I need to like... And by like after dinner, I start craving sugar like until I go to bed. Same. Like I will just be like, I need a cookie. I need a piece of chocolate. That is where though, because I wasn't really a tea drinker until I became better mm-hmm. friends with you. That helps me. It does help. If I can get a little bit of like a sweet tea stevia situation... Yeah. It'll help. Yeah. But like, I want to eat all the cookies. Oh, I know. I know. I want something that is sugary and buttery mm-hmm. together. Yep. Caramel, cookie, doesn't matter. Cupcake. Mm-hmm. Cake. I'll take a waffle. Oh, whatever. Donut. Oh my God. An ego waffle with butter in my bed at like 10 o'clock. Yes. I know. Yeah. It's the worst. Anyway, so I'm giving that the college try. Um, but what we wanted to talk about today, Claire, one of her two thumbs up was a book that I felt like would be a good thing to talk about also together. Um, it's the book Untangled, and it's really about um, dealing with our girls as they come into their teen years and yeah. kind of, I mean, as the title would suggest, untangling from their emotions. Yes. So talk to me about how this book is. Well, and, you know, and both of our girls are stepping into middle school yep. this year. Well, and they're going into seventh. I know middle school for a lot of people is six, but yes. our girls are going into seventh, seventh grade. grade. Mm-hmm. And... I don't think this book could actually come at a better time for me. I've had it actually in my, you know, pile of books at home for the last year and a half. And my in my, you know, current situation, I'm really starting to see my daughter pull away, but in a way that's confusing to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have older kids who are completely different than this one, yeah. right? Who didn't go through, in my opinion, all the same stages uh-huh. of pulling away from the yeah. parent. But I'm also the step-parent, so it's different. yeah. Yeah. But this book talks about all of the different stages that our, you know, our girls go through and then everything happening internally for them and how you can react yes. to those things. And so I've, I'm noticing 
some pushback, some attitude, her asserting herself. And my gut reaction is always like, don't talk to me that way. Uh-huh, Who right. do you think you are? Right. Well, the way that we would speak to them when they were five or six, and Not, now they're work. different. Yeah. Yes. It doesn't work, and then that's just going to push them away. And it's like, there's so many things that she'll say or do that will trigger me, mm-hmm. and puts me back. I mean, this book is reminding me so much of when I was 12 and 13 years old. Mm. But she'll say certain things, and I'll immediately be triggered, and... I'll handle the situation completely wrong. Yeah. And I mean, there's, you know, crying and yelling and slamming doors. And this book is helping me learn to respond in a way that mm. helps both of us. That's good. And instead of us growing apart, yep. it's we're growing closer while she's still gaining her independence. That's so good. And the biggest takeaway is letting them have time in their room by themselves. Yeah. It's a big fear for parents. Yeah. Especially if your kids have devices. Right. In our house, you don't get to have your device in your room by yourself with the door closed. Yeah, we're the same. You can have it in your room uh-huh. on your own, but your door is not closed. But the importance of allowing your kids to have privacy. Yeah. And privacy with technology is not the same. I completely agree. But physical privacy. Yeah. To be in their room. Yeah. Just who cares what they're doing? I mean, yeah. think about when you were 13, you were doodling or writing love letters to yep. Bobby that you were never going to give him. Whatever. Totally. That's how important that development is. Mm-hmm. And parents now, we talk, she talks about in the book that specifically dads mm-hmm. have such a hard time allowing their daughters to be in their room alone with the door closed. Mm. And how, what a big, how important that is. Yeah. And... Anyway, the, the book goes into a lot of other things, um, especially like friend dynamics uh-huh. and how, you know, your friend, your daughter's friends are going to hurt them. Yeah. And you absolutely. have to allow that to happen. Yep. And me, I'm just like, who can I call and yell at? Yeah. Like, Who's mom am I calling? Yes. Yeah. And just like sitting back and being there for them, but not saving the day. Yes. And it's just like, oh, that's so hard. Totally. As much as I don't want to think of myself as a helicopter mom, like if you hurt my kids' feelings, like I am coming for you. Yeah, I know. I, I, in your defense, I don't think you're that mom. I mean, I do a lot kids, of things. I do a lot of things undercover. Our, ki- <laughs> our kids have all hurt each other's feelings. Yes, for sure. Yes, but maybe we just treat our each other's kids like our own. So they're like an exception. We make an exception. For well, them. I kind of feel like if like one of my kids did something, or if one of your kids is being mean to my kid, my first thought is like, well, what'd you do to deserve it? Well, exactly. Not yeah. like, where do they live? I need to call yeah, their mom. Totally. But that, this also touches a lot on my own teen years and understanding. So this is, I, I picked this book up to understand my kid. Yeah. And what's happening is I'm starting to understand my teens in a yeah, different way. And that's seeing interesting. how that's affected me, yep. my relationships, and then how yep. I just transfer all of that oh, totally. onto my kids. It's probably one of the best books I've read in the last few years. I, I really can't wait to read that. I've had it for a while and I just <sighs> haven't taken the time. I want to read that and then... I mean, I'm here to tell you, though, I know this one is about daughters, but man, boys have enough of an emotional roller coaster Jeez. as well. Like, I'm just kind of like getting like to that point with my youngest of him like, oh, you have these big feelings. Yeah. But here are boys. Yeah. Big feelings. Big, big feelings. Big, big feelings. Um, so, yeah, I, I need to read that book and then some similar book for boys, apparently. <laughs> one of the other takeaways I... um. So uh, Lisa Demore, she is a um, family therapist, and mm-hmm. she specifically she specializes in teenage girls. One of the other things she said was, "There's like the stigma of teenage girls, right? Like, oh, you got a 15 year old, uh, totally. That must be so rough, right? And kind of changing that yeah. conversation to, you have a 15 year old, yeah. How awesome, yeah. You're raising a young woman, totally. 
And just changing that that small verbiage, even yeah. just for myself, has allowed me to like her a little more. Yeah. And not be so like, what do you want? Yeah. I love that. So, All right. Well, that was your first thumbs up. Your second one is sitting here on my desk and I can't figure out what I'm looking at. This is a beauty blender. What, what is this? Okay. What? So I used to actually really hate beauty blenders. I don't know what a beauty blender even is. It is like a makeup sponge. Oh, but got it. Got it. I will tell you, there's a lot of fakes out there. So are they the one? They look like a teardrop. Yes. 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 Okay. There's a lot of fakes out there. Okay. Don't buy them. Okay. They're like a dollar. Don't right. buy them. Spend the freaking 20 something dollars on the actual real beauty blender. I'm skeptical. I hear, I hear words coming out of your mouth, but I'm going to go buy the dollar one. It, I, I you, okay, I'm going to give you one. I'm just going to give you one. The application of your makeup uh-huh. will never be better. But what makeup are you talking about? Foundation? Foundation. I, I wear use, foundation. I use this for BB cream. I use this for foundation, concealer, blush. You just are naming things I don't use. You don't use those things? Really? No. I use powder. Oh, I can't use powder. My face is way too dry. Oh, see, my face is really oily. So I only use pressed powder. Really? Yeah, that's it. Oh, I use like 47 products. Well, I probably should. I I think I just don't know how to do them or something. What I'll say about the Beauty Blender is that I actually save product. A lot of people think like it's going to absorb your product. Mm -hmm. You're not going to use it. I feel the opposite. Right. So it's like, you know, like a little, like a tapping yeah. motion on the face. Yeah. Is it made of silicone or I actually spongy? don't know. It's, it's spongy. It's spongy. And you have to get it wet. Oh. You get the whole thing wet. You saturate it. Oh. Completely. Okay. It grows. It's like, you know, right. like grow my dinosaur or whatever those yep. things are. Yep, yep, Get it completely wet. Then you squeeze all the water out and then you can use it. Okay. And so I will typically apply the foundation to my face with my finger, like in dots. Right. And then I'll use the sponge to uh-huh. tap it in. What foundation do you use? Depends on the day. Yeah. Um, I'm actually a really big beauty counter fan. Yeah. Of, um, tint skin. Yeah. And do, the dew skin. Uh-huh. Um, but I also really, 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 really love, it's not clean, guys, the Naked Foundation. From? Um, Urban Decay. Yeah, Urban Decay. Oh, I really is, like Urban Decay. Why? I, I wish they'd get their act together and be green. I think they're actually moving clo- – oh, no, that's Tarte. Tarte is the one that was Tarte moving closer. Is, yeah. The Urban Decay Foundation is so good. It's probably mm. giving me cancer, but – We'll get back to that. It's fantastic. But anyway, this beauty blender, I've been using beauty blenders for years, but they're really hard to clean. Right. And so they finally got their act together and they've included now this like cleansing um, bar inside of the thing. I have the beauty blender in a couple different sizes because it comes like in a big one and then a little one like for the concealer area. Uh But this soap bar that comes with it. Yeah. Gets it completely clean. Oh, very cool. I was using hand soap before and it just wasn't doing the trick. Well, you know what's funny is one of my thumbs up is about cleaning um, our beauty application products. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Oh, so, funny. so random. Like, I'm going to totally admit that I buy makeup, makeup brushes and I never wash them. I'm pretty bad about Ever. that too. I mean, never. I'll get, I'll do like, I'll get like a wild hair at my butt and like once yeah, a year, like, like once clean a year, all of them. Totally. Yeah. I don't clean them on a regular basis and I know you shouldn't. You should also replace them yes. on a regular basis. So I found this um, subscription, which, you know, I'm all about automating. Like yes. I, nothing happens for me unless it's on a subscription. Kristen's so. never been to a store. So, I, Claire, <laughs> I kid you not. I kid you not. Last night I realized we were out of toilet paper and I ordered it from Amazon Prime, and it showed up this morning. I know. Like, I tripped over it walking into the house I just today. don't. I hate. I do. I hate going to the store. This is why Karis gets so excited every time I take her to the mall. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's like oh. a whole new world to her. Don't get me started on taking children to a clothing store. Like, it's not happening. This is this is what I'll do. This is what I'll do for their clothing. 
I will go to the website of choice. I will put things in the cart and then they can choose from the things in the cart. It's like a pre-selection. Yes, it's a pre-selection. Like, wait, I think I saw I think I saw a glitter shirt. I'm like, nope, nope, nope that was not available. Not That's u- sold out. No uniforms. You can choose from these things that I like yeah. for you to wear. Anyway, so there is this company called Beautyac, and they do a makeup brush refill subscription. So the oh. way that it works is, you know, you've got the handle. Um, of the brush and they're universal and then you screw the top on and off like a razor head kind of thing yes exactly like a razor and so they send you they swap out and send you new brushes just the top the tippy top of the brush brilliant um once a month and so it comes with three um interchangeable um and, you know, I mean, it's just, it's good because then you're not getting the bacteria and, and the you're breakouts. Forced. You're and, forced to actually. Yeah. And it shows up at your door and you just swap them out. And then they have um, a really great recycling program too. So you can mail everything back. They partner with Zero Waste Box Program. So, yeah. I'm anyway. sitting here just thinking like how long it's been since I've replaced my brushes. And it's been a strong like three or four years. No, I know. Yeah. So I'm excited. And they're very, they're high quality brushes too. Nice. Because, I want to play with them. Yeah. Because the handles are... You know, they're meant to last. They're right on the tip of the brush. So they're really nice. They feel good in the hand. Nice. Yeah, very nice. Um, and then the other, my other two thumbs up is a Wink Brow Perfecting Quad. So my brows are white. What does that mean? So it's, um, I mean, it's just, it's four different brow products in one. Like, oh, got it. You know, it's, it's like a little... Um, Palette. Got it. A brow palette of four different things. So they have one of them is a filler powder. So to fill everything in. Um, one of them is a highlighter. So you put it above and below and it just gives you that nice pop. Um, and then one is like a grooming pomade. So you put that so on stays. Over the top to keep your hairs from going crazy, which mine totally do. Um, and then it comes with an angled brush. Nice. Um, so yeah, it's just a really nice little eyebrow quad that I really like from Wink, which is like a I think it's like a fancy brow. You just, I think, studio. gave me a really great eye cream from them. Yes, 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 yes. Totally. Okay, yeah, yeah. Have you tried it? Yeah, love it. Yeah, and yeah. it actually feels a little bit cool under my oh, eyes. Oh, nice. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. Yes. Yeah, I really like it. Yeah. So that's mine. So I want to talk quickly again about italic.com. I've talked about them before. I got a super cute crossbody purse from them. So as I've mentioned, Italic is a no brand company. Um, How it works is that they work directly with highly vetted manufacturers that are the ones that make purses for people like Celine, St. Regis, and Prada. So they allow the consumer to shop unbranded luxury goods straight from the people who usually make them. They have have a ton of cute stuff and I am now currently obsessed with checking their website for all of the cute new stuff. So as I mentioned, I got their Martine crossbody bag. It is black leather. It's got gold zippers and straps. It's super cute, but they have new stuff coming out all the time. I highly recommend you check their website. They have some really cute, really large totes. Um, I have my eye on a like hot pink velvet fold over clutch that they have right now. Um, They even have sheets, robes. They've got new stuff coming all the time. So here's the deal with Italic. Because they work with directly with the consumer, they don't overproduce their products. So if you see something that you might like on their site, you're going to want to grab it up quickly. And here's the deal. I have a little extra incentive. For the first time ever, Italic has set up a special discount code just for you guys, just for selfie listeners. You can use the code selfie for a $15 credit on your first purchase. So you're going to want to visit italic.com, search through all the cute purses, 
bags, totes, make a decision, and then use the code SELFIE for $15 off luxury products that are already half off name brands. Okay, well, hey guys, I'm here talking with Amy Orr. Amy is the author of the book, Taming Chronic Pain, a Management Guide for a More Enjoyable Life. And I really wanted to have her on because statistics are showing that chronic pain is one of the most common ailments for people to suffer from. And I know many of our listeners are dealing with chronic pain. So Amy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, for listeners who don't deal with chronic pain and maybe aren't sure what we're talking about, can you give us just a a brief definition of what chronic pain refers to? Yeah, absolutely. So chronic pain is really um, any kind of pain that is experienced uh, consistently for a period lasting more than three months. Um, That three-month threshold is the most common physician definition of what constitutes chronic Um, And that could be any kind of pain. It could be from any part of your body for any reason, an injury, an illness, um, an undiagnosed problem. It could be anything. And what are some of the more common types of chronic pain that we see people suffering from? So back pain is probably Mm -hmm. the most common. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sure that's not that surprising to you. Um, So... um, there's, I think that's about 30% of chronic pain is back pain specifically. Um, and that's more likely in um, elder uh, adults than it is in younger adults. But it is, um, I've actually got a statistic in front of me right now. It says that uh, lower back pain specifically is affecting more than 26 million Americans between the ages of 20 and 65. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a huge number. So that's a really big one. Another one, um, a big group is uh, severe headaches and migraines. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. about 15% of people who experience chronic pain have specifically headaches or migraines. So that's probably um, quite surprising to a lot of people because I was not aware that migraines were that prevalent. Um, But that's that's another big one. And neck pain, separate Mm. from back pain, is another Mm -hmm. common cause of um, chronic pain. And then the the pains such as um, fibromyalgia or Mm -hmm. other specific nerve pain ailments are less common. Got it. What about pelvic pain? I feel like I'm hearing about that more and more. Um, So I don't actually have any statistics on pelvic pain, but you're right. I've been hearing about that more and more recently. I think it's there has definitely been a lot of improvement in the acknowledgement that women are generally much less likely to be diagnosed with a chronic pain ailment because there are certain types of pain that are considered quote-unquote normal. That's right. And and period pain is one of those pains that for a long time has been dismissed as, well, you're supposed to be in pain. It's your Mm -hmm. period. It's that time of the month. And that's really been a barrier for a lot of people in having a chronic pelvic pain issue diagnosed properly. And I absolutely think you know, I've been seeing news stories and what have you come up, um, that the barrier that women have been facing with that is slowly coming down and that people are getting more and more awareness that there is a difference between ordinary menstrual mm-hmm. cramps and right. you know, everything else. And a, and a chronic um, pain in the pelvis. Yeah, um, exactly. Which are, as you said, frequently undiagnosed. What, what led you to um, wanting to write a book about chronic pain? Uh, it was mostly my own personal experiences. Uh-huh. Um, so I've I have a fairly complex medical history. Um, 
but it's, it's I've I guess I'd say I've been experiencing chronic pain most of my life mm. um, as an adult now I can look back and I can remember instances as a child but I didn't know that I had chronic pain for a very long time I just thought the the day-to-day um, difficulties that I was experiencing were normal because you do right you don't necessarily stop to think that what you're experiencing is different from anyone else so for me it was normal to get eight hours of sleep and to still be exhausted or to um, get really bad fatigue, or to have consistent back pain. And I just thought that was something that everyone had to deal with until I had a more serious health issue come up and I started looking at my own health a bit more objectively. And that's when I realized that there are actually quite a few things going on here and I'd been really just ignoring it, which had made things much worse for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started to learn about um, my own diagnoses and just about the best ways to adapt my daily life to still get things done that I wanted to get done, but not exacerbate any pre-existing issues, not to, you know, pretend it didn't exist because that had consistently not worked for me. Um, So I started, you know, like researching and a lot of trial and error with my family of, you know, what works for me, what doesn't. And as I was doing this and talking to support groups online and all that sort of stuff, I found that there were a lot of things that I learned or that I found very helpful that I hadn't been able to find information on online or in books that I read. It was just... um, stuff that I hadn't seen addressed anywhere else. So I started writing it down and it sort of organically transpired into this became a full length book of here's all the stuff that they don't talk about when you get a diagnosis. And that's sort of where it came from. Right. And obviously, you know, people would want to read your book to go into more detail, but what were some of the things, what what were some of the maybe surprising things that you found helpful that weren't readily available in the research that you did? So I think this will sound a little silly, but for me, even when I sat down with, uh, and I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to sit down with a um, pain physician, a specialist who, you know, knew a lot about chronic pain and gave me a diagnosis eventually of fibromyalgia. Um, But even sitting down in that appointment, which I think only about uh, 15% of patients who experience chronic pain ever get to actually see a pain specialist. So I know I'm very lucky in that. But I realized like no one talks about the basics of pain, like how you classify it, how different pain, how pain can be different from person to person, how you can experience it in your body, what the different sensations are. Um, how to properly describe it to a doctor so that they Mm. can figure out what's going on right so like you don't you don't necessarily hear a lot of um, or get taught about how to rate your pain on a pain scale or how to take a pain inventory or how to properly identify which part of you is hurting because there are lots of different types of pain that refer to other parts of your body. Mm-hmm. And that's that's tricky, right? That means that you don't necessarily accurately know what is the fundamental thing that hurts. Um, and none of that has ever really, like in any of my doctor's appointments in truth, has ever really been talked about. And when I 
was talking to, like, I'm a member of a bunch of support groups online. And that's not something that anyone's ever really taught right. or educated about, which seems so fundamental to understanding and being able to explain your pain to another person. But it's just something you have to figure out for yourself. Absolutely. And I would imagine that there is some difficulty with chronic pain because I know for some people, it's, it leads back to a clear diagnosis. Like for you, you have my fibromyalgia, but I have a lot of friends with chronic pain who don't have an answer and don't have a diagnosis and, you know, have really done the work to, to seek it out. It seems like there is some chronic pain that's unexplained. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's a that's a huge problem. Again, I know how lucky I am to have actually had a diagnosis. There are millions of people who don't get that clarity, um, and that's that is very unhelpful on many levels because not only do you not really ever get any answers, but you also then have to face all of the disbelief, all of the right. second, second guessing of yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, is it just me? Is it in my head? Mm-hmm. Am I properly judging what's going on with, with myself? Um, it can make doctor's appointments extremely frustrating. Um, yeah, I, I and would it, imagine. It can, and it's just, it is, it's kind of... Um, it's frightening. I've I've had undiagnosed illnesses before where I've been in, like a, it's a silly example, but I had um, a gallbladder issue about six, seven years ago. And whilst that's a fairly simple issue, anyone who's had gallstones knows it hurts. It hurts a lot. And it took a year to diagnose that. And for that year, you, I was in, you know, pretty severe pain fairly frequently but I was being told that I was fine. And and that that really messes with your head because you genuinely start to doubt yourself and to doubt your own um, mental health and like, am I seeing reality here? Um, and that can really affect your ability to care for yourself because if everyone's telling you there's nothing wrong, then mm-hmm. you sort of don't feel... Um, you don't really feel validated or um, mm-hmm. like you're permitted to do all the self-care things that you need to do to take care of right. your chronic pain. Yeah. And I would imagine there's just a lack of empathy from family and friends too when there's not a clear diagnosis. Yeah. It it's, can be very hard. If you can't explain it in a you know easy to latch onto concept, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. it's just this amorphous, difficult thing that you're just asking everyone else to accept and a scary number of people don't want to accept what you tell them about your own body. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like, you know, it seems like the physical pain of chronic pain has a steady bedfellow in the emotional pain of chronic pain. Yes, I think the two are completely inseparable. I mean, they're two sides of the same coin, Mm -hmm. really, to me. Um, And whilst... um, I mean, it can get quite complicated quite quickly because physical pain can cause emotional pain and psychological pain and psychological pain can cause physical pain. And trying to separate those two is is just kind of a mess. It's tricky. And and unfortunately, a lot of people... um, So I was actually doing some research on this for the book and it's I think it's something like 77 or 78% of chronic pain patients admit experiencing depression related to their chronic pain. Mm-hmm. But having, having a, a mental health issue 
can in many ways complicate the treatment of your physical pain issue because all too often um, healthcare practitioners can be fairly dismissive of, well, if you're depressed, especially if you don't have a diagnosis, I, I should say, it can be like, well, if you're if you're depressed or if you're experiencing these mental health issues, that might just be why you've got chronic pain. It could be that, you know, mm-hmm. you feel bad, so therefore you have pain, so they want to treat the mental health issue. And that's sort of ignoring the whole cause and effect thing. Um, which right. can make it really, really complicated and also invalidates people's physical pain by saying, well, if you've got a mental health issue, how do you really know what's going on? Right. Maybe it's just in your head. Yeah, exactly. Which mm-hmm. so, so many people hear it's frightening. Yeah. And what advice do you have for sufferers of chronic pain who are in, in the midst of that sort of dance between, um, you know, depression and um anxiety and then dealing with pain on top of that i think it's a cliche but you have to take every day one day at a time Mm -hmm. you can't none of this is unfortunately nothing about chronic pain is a solvable problem it's not something that one day you're going to go aha i have the solution and everything's going to be wonderful Mm -hmm. again it's it's a journey it's a constant um learning process of refining how you understand how your body works and what you can do to better take care of yourself and feel better on a daily basis and that takes a lot of time and that's true for the physical aspects and for the emotional aspects of dealing with chronic pain and depression and anxiety and anger that comes Mm -hmm. with chronic pain right so it's i think the hardest thing for people to learn but for me the most useful is learning that you truly, you don't have to justify yourself to anybody. Mm, That's good. Like you don't need to ask permission to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And you are the only person in your body. You are the only person who is experiencing what you're experiencing. Even if it's, even if say you have a chronic pain diagnosis and it's, you know, chronic back pain and you think, well, there are, you know, 30 million other people with chronic back pain. It's just like everybody else's you're still the only person who's feeling your pain. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. What, what works for you and what helps you get through it is very personal. Um, so there's there's definitely a not uh, a one-size-fits-all solution. And I think people have to give themselves the time and the space and the permission to figure out how to live in their own bodies. Yeah, yeah, and you you mentioned this earlier, just you know the one day at a time thing. Um, you know, I would imagine that's big because I would imagine you could feel demoralized fairly quickly. Yes, um, especially as you. I was going to say especially as you first start out, but then I immediately contradicted myself in my head because I was thinking, in some ways, it's worse when you're very practiced and you still make mistakes, and that's mm. very demoralizing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's frustrating. It it seems like it, at least to me, I personally feel like it seems like it should be something that's fairly simple to figure out. You know, you do A and it has B result and therefore you learn how to do something or how not to do something. But because of the nature of a lot of different types of chronic pain, every day is different. There isn't a consistent 
A equals B. It's It can be one day you can do something and you can feel absolutely awful, but you try it again a week later and you actually, you do okay and you feel all right. And there isn't always necessarily a rational explanation for that. Um, there's not always an answer that you can figure out why. And that, if you take that personally, can be extremely demoralizing. Yeah. Um, because it's you feel like you're, you know, hitting your head off a brick wall and getting absolutely nowhere. Absolutely. Talk to me about self-care and the role of self-care with um, chronic pain. So the vast majority of chronic pain management uh, Mm -hmm. comes in the form of Mm self-care. I mean, um, doctors and healthcare professionals are fantastic for helping you with medications and some alternative therapies if you find them useful um, and have very specific areas of expertise that you can draw upon. But self-care is really the thing that ties it all together and that allows each patient to manage every aspect of their health and their chronic pain. So I think self-care has to be at the center of every chronic pain patient's management plan because Mm -hmm. you can't you can't manage your emotional health and your expectations, your uh, finances, your energy levels, your diet, your exercise, your medications, um, your relationships, other people's expectations of you. You can't do any of that unless you have a realistic sense of what you're capable of and what you need on a day-to-day basis to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And so your self-care and your ability to understand and make choices for yourself that will allow you to feel as well as possible is really the only way you're ever going to have any hope of getting a handle on living with chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And I know self-care looks so different for each individual, but are there just some some basics that you know, you would say like, these are some non-negotiables of self-care for someone living with chronic pain? So I would say exercise. Yeah. And I know that's, that's a very tough pill for a lot of people to swallow because exercising in chronic pain is painful. It hurts. And it's very difficult to break that association in your head of if it hurts, it must mean I'm doing something wrong. And I think learning the difference in your body between like severe physical pain and background pain and discomfort is really important because you sort of have to accept a certain level of discomfort to exercise because mm-hmm. especially if you're not used to exercising, especially initially, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard. It's yeah. you're gonna be sore. It's going to make you feel tired and drained. But over the long term, it has huge physical and emotional benefits. Mm -hmm. I mean, just just the act of exercising is an act of taking control Mm -hmm. of your body and of what's happening in your body. Mm. Um, That's a good way to put that. Well, it's important, right? It's You can feel so out of control of your own body when you experience physical pain a lot especially and if it's if it seems random or if it doesn't have a diagnosis and it's important to do things that make you feel some ownership of your own body and that you have 
you know, an ability to do something healthy for yourself. Um, it also exercise increases strength. It increases pain thresholds. It uh, decreases rebound time. So if you do have, um, you know, a, a bad day or a flare up, it can help your ability to heal. Um, it makes more routine activities easier because you are used to doing, you know, physical activity. Yeah. Um, it helps you sleep better, which mm-hmm. is huge. I mean, totally. like it's a huge number of people in chronic pain struggle to get quality sleep and quality sleep is necessary for pain management. Um, so like doing what you can to be active to help you sleep is in of itself, I think would be enough of a reason to have an mm-hmm. exercise regime. Yeah. Um, and also obviously there's, there's like uh, hormones that are released when mm-hmm. you exercise that yep. can help your emotional well being as well. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'd say that's the one thing that the big one, it's the big one and it's probably the hardest because um, no yeah. one wants to do it. I mean, I don't have chronic pain and I don't want to exercise because it hurts. I can't I can't even imagine the hurdle that would be, you know, that you'd have to, to do like I'm already in pain and now I'm going to sign up for more. But, you know, it makes so much sense that these, you know, it's a delayed gratification because it would yes. come with all of these benefits that are helpful to chronic pain. Absolutely. It requires quite a bit of faith to yeah. take that leap. Um, and there are there are ways to ease into it, right? It's I'm not saying that everyone has to immediately go and, you know, like sure. run 5K on a treadmill. There are, you can start off with very gentle exercises and, and learn your limits because it's important to it's important to know your limits and to exercise safely within them. If you just go well, if it's going to hurt, it's going to hurt. And I'm just going to go flat out and, and until I, you know, collapse. That's not helpful in the long run. You, It's it's not a, it's not a long-term strategy. It's, I think the exercise thing you have to look at as this is a long-term investment in my health. Um, and it requires a bit of work every day, but, and it's probably every day for the rest of my life but it's going to mean the rest of my life is significantly better and longer than it otherwise would be. Yeah. Got it. How, um, you know, for those of us who don't have chronic pain, but have friends or loved ones who do, how can we best support them? Uh, so I think, I mean, being a caregiver is, is really, really hard. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I have all the sympathy in the world for uh, family members of people in, in chronic pain because as much as I feel out of control of what's going on in my body, I can only imagine how out of control family members feel when they can't even fathom what you're going through. Um, but I think the biggest thing is to believe them, to listen to them. It's It can be very easy especially because of the changeable nature of chronic pain, it can be different on a day-to-day basis. And it's very easy for people to say, oh, well, you must be exaggerating because you were fine yesterday. Or it can't really be that bad. Or you pushed through last week when you felt really tough. Mm -hmm. Why can't you just push through today? And that sort of general theme of not really listening and assuming that you know something that they're not telling you 
is it's it's really uh, demoralizing. It's offensive to me. Mm-hmm. I would I, I get very angry if people do that to me. Sure. Um, but it's I think the most support that you can give a loved one in chronic pain is to just you know be with them, listen to them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. say like I that must suck. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry mm-hmm. that you're going through that. And it's simple, but it's I I find it a little scary in truth. Um, some of the online support groups I'm a member of, there is a frightening pattern of people getting absolutely no support and just total disbelief from their family members of, well, you don't have a diagnosis, there's nothing wrong with you. Or um, you're just being lazy is a really common one. And that's very frightening to me that people have to have to put up with that and have to live with that. Um, No, no one should treat someone they love that way and just assume Mm -hmm. that they're making something up. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just, it's, you know, I think it's an exercise in empathy, um, you know, for, for all of us who care about people with chronic pain to believe them and hear them and reflect that back and not try to quick fix. Or as you said, that sort of in psychology, we call it the flight into health where somebody has a good day and it's like, yay, it's over, you know? Yes. Which is a trap that everyone can fall into, right? Like, it's um yeah i actually talk about that a bit in in the book about strength euphoria and if Mm. you have a good run and you suddenly feel like i can take on more i can do this and this and you push and you push and you push until you hit that cliff Mm -hmm. and that's a really hard lesson to learn yeah absolutely that you just it's it's a slow and steady it is Mm -hmm. and the other thing i'd say for for um family members and friends of people in chronic pain a good thing that um wouldn't necessarily be intuitive to do would be to ask for favors rely on your loved one Mm -hmm. you can feel Mm -hmm. you can feel very useless if you have chronic pain and you can feel like you can't really do anything or especially if you're you know deep into self-care and really limiting what's expected of you so that you can properly care for yourself and it can sort of make you feel a bit um a bit useless and a bit Mm -hmm. forgotten Mm -hmm. um and that is really really helped by having friends and family ask you for favors being normal be you know like i'm not saying like ask a person with chronic back pain to help you move that's Mm. obviously not a good idea but there are a million tiny non-physical things that a person in chronic pain can still help you with. Um, so don't be afraid of asking them because they can say no. But if you are showing that you rely on them, that you need them in your life, then that's a huge emotional benefit. Yeah, absolutely. I could see that. And I could see where people wouldn't wouldn't think of that as a way to sort of normalize and make them feel, you know... No, it's it's and it's very tricky for um, friends and family because they have to walk the line of allowing you to take care of yourself, but also engaging with you and you know making sure that they are treating you as normally as they can. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a, that's a very tough line to walk. But yeah, 
it's a learning experience for everybody right it's they're not going to get it right the first time just like you're not going to get it right the first time so everyone just has to give each other a break I think absolutely well my last question is around people who aren't sure if they have chronic pain or not maybe are living with pain what would be the steps to getting a diagnosis which doctors are the doctors we would seek out for something like that you know how do we advocate for ourselves in the medical community when we have when we have long-standing pain so i think the very very first thing i would do would be to start keeping a pain diary mm-hmm. um it's it's hard to explain to another person including doctors exactly what's going on with you if you just have a general sensation of I've had pain for a really long time and I don't know why. So start writing down specifics. Um, Where does it hurt? How much does it hurt? What does it feel like? Is it a sharp, stabby pain? Is it an ache? Is it diffuse? Does it come on at certain times of the day? Um, Is there something I can do that triggers it? What helps it? What helps to alleviate it? Um, what medications do you take to help with it? You know, if you take over-the-counter um, pain meds or, you know, use topical creams or anything like that, all of the detail that you can and start keeping a log of that because what you want to do is you want to take that to your doctor. And uh, I'm sure for most people, the first port of call would be their family doctor um, because really the family doctor is for most people, the gatekeeper to Mm -hmm. access to basically all of the other specialists that you might need to see. But by going to your family doctor with that kind of information in hand, you are not just giving them the information they need to start working from, but you're also showing, look, like, this is this has a history. This mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. this is a long term problem. I've That's got, really like, wise. A, yeah. It's well, yeah. It's it's. I I sometimes feel a little for doctors because they get a bad rap in the chronic pain community, and some for good reason. But they have a very specific job that they're trying to do, um, especially family doctors. And these family doctors are not pain specialists. They are not remotely qualified or trained to deal with chronic pain. In fact, until I think it was about three years ago, um, and then the rules changed, but before three years ago, basically, um, unless you did a pain specialty, as you went through your training to become a doctor, you did not receive any training or education on how to diagnose or talk about chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Like it just wasn't covered in the curriculum in med schools. And that's thankfully changed recently, but that left that's left a lot of doctors not really knowing where to begin um, when someone comes to them and says, I have chronic pain. Mm-hmm. So give them a place to start. Yeah, um, give them data, and, really. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what physicians rely on. And yeah. I'd also say an important part of being your own advocate is – uh, not taking no for an answer in in the nicest possible way. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It's important if you don't feel like you're being listened to or if you don't think your family doctor or the doctor they have sent you to understands what's going on, ask for a referral. Ask for a second referral. Ask for a second opinion. If you have, If you think you might know what's going on, talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like say, can I see, you know, a, uh, uh, you know, chronic pain specialist? Can mm-hmm. I see a doctor who's a rheumatologist if right. you think you have arthritis? Can I, you know, 
And just, you have to, at some point, keep persisting that there's really no other way to put it. Some people are very lucky and will get referred to a specialist and it'll be the first specialist that they see that gives them a diagnosis and can help them. And some people need to bounce through the system until it's figured out. Yeah. And that can take years. It can. Yeah. And that's very frightening. But the best you can do in the interim is make sure you have as much information as possible. You keep a record of everything. If you've seen a bunch of different specialists and they've done tests and those tests were clear, keep a record of that because the next time you go and see someone, you can say, hey, look, I've already had the CT and the MRI and blah, blah, blah. And these were the results Mm -hmm. and something else needs to be tried. Right. And I think that's really the best patients can do. Yeah, absolutely. That's good advice. Well, thank you so much for um, for chatting with us. Where can people find you and your book online? Uh, so we're on Amazon. Um, Taming Chronic Pain is listed on basically every uh, regional Amazon variation. Um, there's Great. also my we- my website is www.amyorbooks.com. Uh, you can go there and it'll direct you of different places to buy it as well because it's available in Barnes and Noble and a few other places as well. Fantastic. And we'll, of course, link up to the book on our own um, SelfyPodcast.com show notes. Well, Amy, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Continue the self-care conversation with us over at Instagram at at SelfyPodcast. And make sure to join our uber supportive community that we love on Facebook by searching for Selfie Podcast Community. You can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode at selfiepodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to Selfie on iTunes, but you can catch up with us next week. Special thanks to Shepherd Audio for providing our music. Take care.